0: Rooms of books that I didn't know were there when I first entered the store. There were volumes and libraries and treasures to be discovered. Too often Christians miss the treasure of the Old Testament. Hey Cross United, I'm so glad you've joined us for this online message. I want to invite you to turn or tap in your Bible or your app to John 12, 37-43, which will be our sermon text for this morning. While you're going there, I want to remind you that you can go to crossunited.org and you can click online check-in. That'll take you to our digital connection card. We would love to get to know you a little bit better. We'd love to know how we could be praying for you and invite you into the ways you can connect with our church. On that same page at crossunited.org, on the top right-hand side of the menu, there's a tab to click Give. If you consider Cross United Church your church home, or you just consider yourself a generous person, we invite you to give and give generously to and through your local church. also want to let you know that we are going to, Lord willing, be changing our service time. We are going to be moving to 10.30 a.m., in the weeks ahead, we don't have the specific date announced yet, but I just want to put that on your radar screen that we will be moving our regular service time to 10:30 a.m. still uh, here on the campus of Trinity Church in the main sanctuary. So be on the lookout for that. We're going to be talking this morning about how to read the Old Testament. How to read the Old Testament. It was a bright sun shining San Diego Easter morning in the late 80s or early 90s. And we were at an Easter worship service at a high school, sitting up in the bleachers, as the the stage had been set up on the field, and we were at our local church's Easter service outside, and and they were we were worshiping, and I, I was you know a small kid, and and we're singing, and at the end of the pastor's sermon, he invited anyone who wanted to make a decision to trust Jesus um, to just raise their hand. And in that moment, my grandparents were there with us. My grandpa had grown up Roman Catholic, and then uh, he married my grandma, who had been a, in Christian, Christian science and then Presbyterian, and, and he had been you know, around the church. But in that moment, he made a decision to follow Jesus, and he raised his hand. He was in his seventies, and after seven decades on this earth, he made the decision to follow Jesus. And as as I grew, and I, I love my my grandpa, we called him Boppy. Um, that's another story. Why we called him that for another day. Um, and and I loved Boppy, and we 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 were very close. And and as I grew, and and I I was a Christian as well. Uh, I was burdened for my family. I was burdened for Boppy, and I I, I prayed. Uh, as I got into college, God just burdened my heart to pray for my grandpa, to pray for Boppy, uh, to continue to grow closer to Christ. He was he was more of a doer than a thinker, and he 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 you know w- w- was a Christian, but but he wasn't one to always talk about things of faith and 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 those sorts of things. And I just was burdened for him to grow closer to Christ in those years of his life. And so I just I just started praying for him. I just started praying that God would draw him close. Well. In that season, my grandma, who we called Ara, um, that's another story for another time, uh, she passed away. And uh, and Ara used to get up early every morning and she would read her Bible. She would sit in their living room and she would have her Bible in her lap and she would read her Bible. Well, after she passed away, my grandpa God answered my prayers and, and I'm sure the prayers of others. That, that he began to read my grandma's Bible every day, three or four or five chapters every day, and began to study and learn the scripture in a way he, he maybe hadn't uh, done before. And As he was reading, it, he, I remember one time him talking to, to my dad and to me and, and talking about how the Old Testament um, w- was a little surprising sometimes and a little confusing sometimes. And he started where we start most books, and and that's he started in Genesis one one, and he started just reading through. And he 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 had questions like, why did the Lord seem so angry sometimes? And he says like, the, I remember him saying something like, the Lord's always killing somebody. And and as he reading the the Bible, he, he was surprised and at sometimes and other points confused, um, because sometimes we approach the Bible and and we because it's our scripture, we kind of assume that it's just going to make sense. And sometimes we read it and it doesn't always make sense. Well, if we think about it, any other book that was written thousands of years ago in a totally different culture, in a different language, we would expect there to be some sort of disconnect culturally for us to have to bridge in order to understand it. And, and though the Bible is a special book, we believe that God wrote the Bible through human authors, um, the Bible, we have to learn how to read it. We have to learn how to read the Bible, and specifically, we have to learn how to read the Old Testament. And, um, and, and as, as, as we approach the Old Testament, and, and we see that, that the Bible is, is, is speaking to us, and we learn, as we learn how to read it, um, we come to understand how to hear the voice of God And to find the truth in the scripture. Um, The the Bible speaks and God speaks through the Bible. And he speaks in both the Old and the New Testaments. Um, And we have to learn. We have to learn how to listen. Uh, Last week we talked about having to learn how to see. And this week we're, we're talking about having to learn how to hear. Well, in John's biography of Jesus that we call the gospel according to John in this series that we're calling the book of life, we see the next story in the, in the book, the, the, the next section in the book is John explaining the, the response of those who were listening to Jesus in light of a couple of passages from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Um, and, and he's gonna draw here on themes we've seen throughout the Gospel of John. Themes like faith and the saving power of God and, and even predestination and 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 all of these things we've touched on all throughout this study. So let's let's do this. Let's read this text and then we're gonna note some of these themes. But there's one verse in particular that I think is interesting that's gonna kind of help us move into a study of how to read the Old Testament. Look at there at John 12:37, even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's a quote from Isaiah 53.1. This is why they were unable to believe because Isaiah also said he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts in turn and I would heal them. That's a quote from Isaiah 6.10. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him among the rulers, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. And here we see John explaining the response of the crowds and the mission of Jesus in light of these Old Testament scriptures that had prophesied and promised and foretold the, the, the way people would respond to the Messiah. And we see here him pulling in themes that have been important all throughout the gospel, the, the, the importance of belief, the importance of God's saving power and, and God's even predestining power. And 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 for John, he doesn't see the, the Old Testament as just this book or this set of books or in that case in that time scrolls that that sat on a shelf that he would study sometimes or maybe thought he should and didn't read as much as he thought maybe he should and felt guilty about it. No, he saw the same God who was speaking in those scrolls, in that scripture, to be the God who was at work and actually was present with them in the person and work of Jesus Christ. For John, the Old Testament scripture, the the scroll of Isaiah, the the things Isaiah had said were not separate from what Jesus was saying and what Jesus was doing and who Jesus is is, was, and is. For John, he saw these things totally combined so that the, the, that, the the, God and his word remain and pertain yesterday, today, and forever. And he, notice he says that, that that they were unable to believe because Isaiah had said, and that these things fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy, that that God's word spoken hundreds of years before, in this case 700 years before, had direct correlation to the way people were responding then, because God was not merely, was not merely speaking, but acting in and through his word. And and there wasn't this separation, but for us, there was a separation of time, 700 years, but it was the same God who was at work and who was speaking in and through those texts. And we see here the sovereignty of God at the end of this passage, where it says the people love the praise and the glory of men more than the glory of God. And we see here that God's providential sovereign power and salvation doesn't compete with our own agency or our responsibility because God works in and through what we love. And so so he changes our hearts and changes what we love. And if we don't turn toward God, it's only because we are following what we love. Our loves are distorted and perverted and corrupted, and therefore we are responsible for our decisions, even though God is sovereign in our salvation. Now, all these things we've talked about at different points throughout this study. So I want to just look at one verse and zoom in on one verse that I think kind of captures the way that John understands the relationship of Isaiah and the Old Testament to the work of Jesus and John's own gospel in the New Testament. It says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Now, John adds this comment after his quotation of Isaiah 6:10, which follows the famous scene in Isaiah six, where Isaiah sees the glory of God. So let's look at the the context for this quote that John gives and why he could say that Isaiah saw the glory of Christ and spoke about him. Isaiah six, one through three in that year, King Uzziah died. And I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings, and with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The earth fills, his glory fills the whole earth. Now theologians, Christian theologians for centuries, thousands of years have noted how the confession of the angels of holy, holy, holy three times uh, alludes to and implies and hints at the three persons of the Trinity. That that it's not just God in general that's present in the Old Testament, but God in particular, that this the triune God is here with us in the Old Testament, with Isaiah in that moment, that Christ was there with Isaiah in that moment so that John could say he saw his glory and spoke about him. So here's what I want to do for the next few minutes we have to study. I want to look at four principles to remember when you read the Old Testament, followed by four practices for how to read the Old Testament. So first we're going to talk about four principles to remember when you read the Old Testament. And here's the first one. The Old Testament is about Yahweh. The Old Testament is about Yahweh. It, the Old Testament is God's word and God's work in the world. Um, and, and it's not just any generic God that's, that's, that's the, the subject and the main character here. In the first chapter of Genesis, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it talks about all these things that God has done. And the the, the word there in the original Hebrew for God is the word Elohim. And and Elohim is more like a title than a name. Sort of like if you said the president did this or uh, someone who has a title. But then when we get to John, excuse me, Genesis 2 chapter 2, verse 4, we see that this God has a name. Look there, Genesis 2, 4. These are the records of the heaven and the earth concerning their creation. At that time, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When you see that word Lord in the Old Testament, in all caps, all small capital letters, that tells you that it is the Hebrew name Yahweh. That God is not just God, but He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. Uh, the King James would tr- sometimes translate the, this Hebrew word Jehovah, but but more accurately would be transliterated Yahweh in in English. And and we learn all sorts of things about Yahweh in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the biography, the the the, the story and the of the character of Yahweh. It tells us of the eternal, self sufficient. God who truly is and who made the world and then enters into relationship with the world. And those are two main themes throughout the, the Bible, that, that Yahweh is the God who creates and Yahweh is the God who covenants. And I know our ladies Bible study are doing the the Jen Wilkin uh, study in Genesis, the first 11 chapters, God of creation, the second half, chapters 12 through uh, 50, which will be starting in the spring or in the new year, God of covenant, that God is the God who creates and God is the God who covenants. And two of the most important passages that explain Yahweh's character to us are in Exodus. And we're just going to look at them briefly. Exodus 3, 14 and 15 says, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So here we see here that God is self-sufficient, that he, as as the theologian John Webster said, has life in himself and of himself, that he doesn't need anything. He is self-perpetuating, self-sufficient life in himself. He is eternal, unchanging, and unchangeable. He is God, Yahweh, the Lord. Then in Genesis 34 5 through7 we see Yahweh reveal himself again to Moses. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. Notice there how many times he mentions the name, the Lord, Yahweh. It's very important. This is the point of the passage. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Powerful, patient, loving, kind, and righteous, and just. This is Yahweh. This is God. And this is what the Old Testament is about. This is who the Old Testament is about. It's about Yahweh. But as we move through the whole Bible, we see that the Old Testament is also about the Trinity, that Yahweh is a trinity. From the beginning of creation, we see that the trinity is there. That when God spoke his word, who we know is the eternal son, and the spirit hovered over the face of the waters, that that the trinity is at work in creation. When God says, let us make man in our image, he's alluding to the three persons of the trinity. We see it throughout the, the, the the. the Old Testament that the their God is 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 multiple persons in one nature. For example, in Genesis 19:24, then out of the sky the Lord Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah burning sulfur from the Lord. How can the Lord send fire from the Lord? Well, because he, the Lord is multiple persons. Yahweh is multiple persons. Yahweh is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we see in the baptismal command in the Great Commission in Matthew, baptizing them in the one name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, yet one name, Yahweh, the Lord, the Trinity. Throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, we see hints and shadows and the presence of the triune God in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's about Yahweh. The Old Testament is about the Trinity. And third, the Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not merely prophesied in the Old Testament. He is present in the Old Testament. Some theologians call the pre-incarnation, the pre-Christmas appearances of Christ, Christophanies, Christ's appearances before he was that baby in a manger. Often this happens when we see the character of the angel of the Lord in Genesis 16, who appears to Hagar in Genesis 19, who, who appears to Abraham, who appears to Joshua in J- Joshua chapter 5 is the commander of the army of the Lord and tells Joshua to remove his sandals for he's on holy ground, so we know he's a divine figure. The one who was the fourth person with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace in Daniel 3, that Christ is present in the Old Testament, in the events of the Old Testament, and in the text of the Old Testament. Jesus himself tells us this. John 5, 39, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. In the post-resurrection appearances in Luke, we learn Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Luke 24, 27. And then again, every he says, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That the entire Old Testament, what we call in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture, what Jesus simply called the Scripture, is about Christ. Because The Old Testament's about Yahweh, and Yahweh is a trinity, and Jesus Christ is the second person of the trinity. The trinity specifically spotlights that second person, God the Son, And as he comes and becomes a human being, takes on human nature so that he can live a life without sin and he can go to the cross to die a death for sinners, to bear the wrath of God and to be buried and raised from the dead so that anyone, including you, who will turn from their sin and trust in him will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life. The Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. Fourth, the Old Testament is about the Trinity's purpose And people. From the very beginning, God has demonstrated that He intends to save the nations, that He intends to redeem His entire creation. As He chose Abraham, He chose Abraham not just for the sake of Abraham, not just for the sake of Israel, but for the sake of the world. Look at Genesis 12. One through three, the Lord Yahweh said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Paul, the apostle quotes this passage in Galatians. And he explains that it foretold the saving justification of God for the nations, for the Gentiles. Look at Galatians 3.8. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying all the nations will be blessed through you. So what is Genesis 12 about? It's about justification by faith grace through faith in Jesus Christ for anyone who will believe Jew or Greek, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, male or female. He says, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 13 through 16, God's purpose has always been to have a single united people. In Christ Jesus now you are who far away, meaning the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace." he did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. What's he saying? He's saying God's intention has always been a single unified people, Jew and Gentile, all together in one new humanity. God's chosen people is not merely Abraham's seed according to the flesh but Abraham's seed Abraham's descendants according to the Spirit God's people are all those who are united to Christ whether they are Jew or Gentile God the Trinity is all has always had a, a plan for a single, unified people. The Old Testament is about the Trinity's people and purpose. The Trinity, the Old Testament is about Yahweh, the Old Testament about the Trinity, the Old Testament is about Jesus Christ, and the Old Testament is about the Trinity's single purpose for a single unified people. Now, in light of these four theological principles, biblical principles, how should we read the Old Testament? How do we read the Old Testament? Well, I want to give you four, princi- four practices for how to read the Old Testament in light of these principles. And they we're, we're using this acronym, READ, R-E-A-D, four practices for reading the Old Testament. Number one, read the Old Testament. Don't be afraid of it. Read through the Bible. Study it. Start in Genesis. Read the Old Testament. Read the Scripture. Don't content yourself with just the U version, the Bible app verse of the day. That's a great place to start, but, but read the Bible, read the Old Testament. Don't be content with just a devotion where you read one verse and then more words of some random person than you read of the actual scripture. Read the Old Testament, study the Old Testament, engage the Old Testament, read the Old Testament. Second, explain the text in context. Ask yourself, what does the text say and what does the text mean? Don't don't pick verses like cherries from a tree, but, but read the chapters before and behind. Read in sequence. Often when we don't understand something, if we keep reading, it will become clear. Read in light of the context. If you're reading part of Genesis or part of Jeremiah, read in light of the context. Read the whole book. Read the Old Testament in its context and explain the text in its context. Now, what we have to understand here is that the the Old Testament context And in any given passage or book in the Old Testament's context is not just that immediate context, but it's the entire canonical context. The word canon speaks of the rule or the measure of the entire scripture. So when we say that, we mean you have to read from Genesis to Revelation and take them all into account when reading any passage. You can't pretend like the gospel didn't happen, like Jesus didn't arrive, that that we don't know what we know when you read the Old Testament, and it will give light to those things, and you'll see things that maybe you would never have seen if you didn't know the rest of the story. So you need to read Genesis in light of Galatians. You need to read Exodus in light of Ephesians. You need to read all All of these books, you need to read these books in light of the entire biblical testimony, the entire canonical witness, the entire Bible. Explain the text in context. Third, apply the rule of faith. Now, this is the one that might be new to you. Um, But but for thousands of years, from the earliest times of the church, after the scripture was written, after John finished writing his gospel in Revelation in 80, 85, 90, 95, almost immediately after that, Christians began to realize they needed some sort of of standard for how to interpret the Bible. So people didn't just make up stuff based on how they felt about any given verse at any given moment. And, and, and the way they began to do this was something through something called the rule of faith. And the rule of faith was simply a standard summary of what the Bible was about based on a Trinitarian structure. So for example, Less than 100 years after the close of the, the biblical canon, after the, the apostles had died, a church pastor and theologian named Irenaeus said this, The church those thro- d- dispersed throughout the whole world, even to the ends of the earth, has received from the apostles and their disciples this faith. So notice there, he's not saying we're imposing some sort of standard on the Bible, but we're withdrawing the standard from the Bible he says we have received this this faith from the apostles and their disciples in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them and in one christ jesus the son of god who became incarnate for our salvation and in the holy spirit who proclaimed through the prophets the dispensations of god and this this framework was used for years, and as those years kind of stacked up on top of each other into decades, and those decades stacked on top of each other into centuries, this framework, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, became the Trinitarian structure for the creeds and the statements of faith in the church, like the Apostles' Creed and then the Nicene Creed, where we learn what the Bible teaches. So this is just a standard summary, a ruler, if you will, that helps us remember because of our sinful nature, our, our poor memory, our, our tendency to want to find in the scripture, what we want to find, Hey, this is what this thing is actually about. This is not a standard being imposed on scripture, but a standard withdrawn from scripture. So when you're reading the old Testament, follow the rule, read in light of this rule of faith, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Recognize that because Jesus has come, that some things are fulfilled and don't apply now in the same way that they did then. Recognize that because Jesus has come, that that some things... Some things do apply to you, but they apply to you in a way that is different than the way they applied to Israel. The theological principle remains, but the actual uh, cultural practice has been fulfilled in Christ. But that doesn't mean that you don't apply the Old Testament to yourself. You do. You just do it in light of the whole Bible and you apply the rule of faith. Some have said that the Old Testament has no relevance to Christians. It's only relevant for Israel. But it doesn't seem like the New Testament treats the Old, the, the, the Old Testament that way. It seems like the, the apostles thought that the Old Testament was life and breath and bread for them. Look at uh, here at, at Romans 15.4. Whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Follow the rule of faith and you will be well on your way to understanding the Old Testament more clearly. Read, explain, apply, read the Old Testament, explain it in context, the whole Bible context, apply the rule of faith, and finally, do the things. Do the things. After you've read it and understood it, obey what God has called you to do. Repent of your sin and trust in Christ. Find Christ there. Find rest for your soul. Come to me, he said, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I, and I will give you rest. This is what God wants to give you through the Old Testament. He want, doesn't want to confuse you. He wants to surprise you with his goodness and his grace and his love and his power and his mercy and his justice and his, cre- his, his creation and his covenant. He wants you to see him and know him and love him and trust him and follow him wherever he leads. You know, I love books, and I love bookstores, and I really love used bookstores, and uh, last year we were on a family vacation, and we were driving up to Lake Tahoe, and we stopped in a a little town called Placerville, about an hour uh, south of outside of Lake Tahoe, a little bit further down the mountain, and we stopped in downtown Placerville, and there, there's a little row of shops and different things, and there was this little used bookstore that looked, you know, small, like one little stall, you know, one one section of a, of a, of a storefront, and we went in, and, and, you know, I'm looking through the, the, the shelves and looking at books, and, and, you know, it's just this little cute little bookstore, and it's okay, just, you know, there's not a lot here, but, but you know, a few, couple aisles, and I'm looking, and then I get toward the back, And I realized at the back left corner of of this this main area, the entrance area, there's this doorway. There's no door on it, but it's just an opening the size of a door. And what they had done is they had actually rented multiple spaces in this strip mall area, this downtown building, so that there was rooms of books that I didn't know were there when I first entered the store. There were volumes and libraries and treasures to be discovered. Too often Christians miss the treasure of the Old Testament. There are whole rooms of books waiting to be read. There is a God waiting to speak to you. Christ ready to meet you in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and on down the line. Step through the doorway. And he's there, and he wants to speak to you.